Welcome to the Sex and Humans podcast, episode 11, The Language of the Masculine World. Today we're talking with Andrew Shridhar, a former Navy SEAL with combat appointments to Iraq. He specializes in machine learning and AI in various startups and is the host of the Warrior Poet podcast, conversations on leadership about bringing our best selves to the world. I met Andrew at the U.S. Naval Academy. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. I really you. appreciate you being on here. It's a... Uh, it's, it's an honor to have, have your point of view with your kind of uh, perspective and experience in the world. It's not, uh, it's not theoretical coming from you. And uh, I think I'm really excited about your perspective on what it is to be in your masculine, right? I think for a lot of people, you would represent uh, an ideal from a masculine point of view, you know, former Navy SEAL, smart tech startup, that sort of thing. So it's a, uh, um, it's really, it's really great to be able to, to get your opinion and kicking it right off. You know, what do you think is the language of, of masculine today in the context of what does it sound like, uh, when someone is effectively talking in their masculine? It's like, Great question to kick it off, and obviously a super complex topic <laughs> that hopefully we'll untangle here on this episode, or at least start to untangle, pull the threads. Yeah, for, for I think so. A bit. So, I think there's a few layers to it. Like you said, I, I think there, um, the language of masculine is changing um, in a lot of uh, good ways and productive ways, and I think when we when we talk about those productive ways, I think the implication usually is that it's better for the people around that masculine person, which is true. But I think those changes are also good for that masculine person themselves. And so um, we can fall into a lot of traps when we mm. dive too deep in any uh, mental pathway, right? And I think that... Um, the, the language of masculinity can stick us in a cycle that's not healthy for for us, right? As um, masculine people or people who are wearing that that masculine mantle for for a period or for a purpose. Um, and so there there's that. The other layers to it are: what does it sound like when you hear it out loud? The other is what does it sound like in your head? <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah. Right. So distinction. I think that, you know, when we talk about the feminine, a lot of times words are important to the feminine, at least, you know, by let's call it doctrine. Right. I'm not, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love what you're doing here. I know by no means claim to be a, a gender expert. Right. But a lot of times words resonate to women, right? It's the whole, you know, my, my podcast is called The Warrior Poet. Um, poetry, a lot of times, will resonate to a, a, a feminine person much more than than uh, a masculine person ever would, right? Um, how many how many women historically are writing men um, love poems? Um, and so I think that those words, the reason I bring this up is because sometimes as a masculine person, you hear the words in your head, but sometimes, sometimes it's just... It's just impulse, right? Hmm. And so I think when we talk about what is that, what does that masculine sound like? Um, it's a little bit like like Plato looking at the you know shadows on the wall or the cave or whatever that allegory is. Um, 
where uh, you have these patterns um, that are these neurochemical impulses and these emotions that you're feeling that are of a masculine nature and not a neurobiologist either, but uh, you know, a lot of, lot driven by testosterone. Um, and where I think recognizing those patterns is critical to, um, modulating that masculinity in, in a productive direction. Um, you know, in the, in the, in the SEAL teams, in that environment, um, you still, even though it's an all, all male environment for the most part, right? All, all, all male seals. Mm -hmm. One day there will be a, a female, uh, seal. It's, it's pretty inevitable, um, since trainings opened up. Um, but even in, in that environment, being, being purely masculine all the time and, you know, uh, breaking things and, and cursing and, and all that sort of stuff and being, um, prone to, to fighting on a moment's notice every time you get an insult, um, you know, and trying to be the alpha all the time amongst a tribe of alphas, um, is not productive for anyone. Right. So, um, and, and you, the, the people like that wouldn't last in, in the SEAL teams, right. People are unable to, to regulate. Um, hmm. and so, you know, when we move to the corporate environment and, you know, curious to get your, your thoughts here too. Um, I, I use corporate kind of in, in general, right. For anywhere, but those all, all male environments or, you know, hunting in tribes in the jungle, um, you need to, to use language that is, um, effective, um, and use the good of masculinity, but also recognize your, your audience is, is different, right. Um, mm -hmm. and the, the practical means by which you can achieve things irrespective of that audience in, in a group setting, um, where there's lots of incentives, lots of forces, lots of fear amongst other people who may be threatened by you. Right. Um, you're, you're not going to be effective if you use that kind of pure masculine language. And I, I I'll, I'll wrap up by just saying there's the, what does it sound like? And I'm throwing a grab bag of things at you. I'm sorry. There's a, what does it sound like, but also just listening more is kind of maybe the best way to modulate that, that masculinity, um, to be able to create space for others to speak, um, is a kind of soft power that can, can be effective. When I see, uh, people specifically men attempting to operate in a masculine, that that's, that's where I feel like they get threatened when it's the act of being quiet in fear that someone else when they're speaking is going to take over and dominate them. And so they continue to speak, continue to interject their opinion. You know, they might even say, what's your opinion? And then start talking. <laughs> and I think that experience is to your point, it's, it's fragile. It's a fragile mess. It's, it's not even understanding what it is. It's, it's peacocking in a sense. It's trying to, trying to look like someone that knows what they're talking about and is confident when they, they truly have no idea what's going on. You must see that constantly in startups. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. having, having been involved in, you know, one or two of them uh, myself, you know, like the, the constant 
you know, barrage of bullshit that comes from tech startup, quote unquote, CEOs, uh, from my point of view, you know, where they have just no idea what they're talking about, but they're really trying to control a room as like a Navy SEAL, right? That's in their head. They're like, this is what I want to be. And they're like, you're going to do this and you're, and we're going here and this is, it's going to be fucking amazing. And we're going to, and it's like, Hey, slow down. How, what are we doing? Um, and I, and so I, I really think that's interesting as it translates to, you know, work environments, to relationship environments. And as I've said before on other, on other episodes, uh, I think that the masculine and feminine, you know, is the fact that it's so linked to male and female linguistically is just a failure of linguistics. It's, it's a failure of the understanding of what that they really were in, in it. It represented itself originally, I think, in men, masculinity, and ideally represented itself in women, femininity. But the truth is now that we're no longer in survival mode, right? You and I are not forced to go hunt and kill our food and women are not forced to give birth to eight babies because seven of them are going to die and hopefully not them in the process we're you know the survival of our species is 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 all but guaranteed from a procreation point of view i think there are other things that might threaten it but that's a different conversation. But from the procreation point of view, like we're, we're pretty guaranteed. We have the science, the medical, and the, the resources to make sure we can have enough people. And that, I think, is a big part of this changing Western culture, moving away from the nuclear family, moving away from almost a codependent narcissistic style relationship between the male and the female, where the guy would go out and work and he'd have his life and the woman would stay home and she would be completely submissive and uh, to his dominance, right? Even that, that notion that was presented, at least to me, you know, the, the, the idea that just wait till your father gets home, right? That kind of, I don't have the power to punish you and to actually make you feel something, but your dad is going to kick your ass. Um, and, and that, that real divergence of behavior and, and the way that we, we talked about what it meant to be a man what it meant to be a woman. Um, I've looked at my own life and saw when I was being raised, there was this notion that to know myself meant to identify the traits within myself that were strengths, and that meant masculine, and weaknesses, and that meant feminine. Minimize your feminine get it as small as possible, make it almost obsolete, maximize your, your masculine and only operate there because your goal is to be a leader, uh, uh, an alpha start, tech start, you know, startup CEO, play golf, make business decisions and that sort of thing. And, and the feminine traits were weaknesses. Um, and I, I, I want to advocate for, I think we'll, we'll see a better success rate with human beings, if that conversation now says, hey, what are, how are you built and where do you fit into the world? Instead of trying to turn a square peg into a round hole, just go find a square peg and fit into that. But that means we got to know who we are. We got to know ourselves better. And that's really where we, we start. It's, it's no longer objective oriented, but 
process oriented. Um, and, and I think that is part of this, this changing language around how we say, be a man. Yeah, there's so much good stuff there. Your impression there of startup CEOs, obviously not not all of them, but correct, not a, all of them. A pretty, but a pretty material portion of them, right? <laughs> I mean, I would say fifty percent plus. Um, have no idea what they're talking about, and it's not an insult to startup CEOs. It's just no. the fact that most of them are very young and have no experience and have insecurities around those who have maybe more experience or who, who are more comfortable with themselves um, and, and advocate for things in a, in a different manner and are willing to challenge authority, um, which ultimately is helpful and healthy for an organization, but threatens the identity of many of those people who are at the quote unquote top. And part of that, I think it is something that other people besides startup CEOs, many of them, and, and mostly men, I would argue, yep. uh, an insecurity that they have, which is around the need to be right. So um, there's a, a, a few of my SEAL brothers who are out of the military now and do various consulting practices and speaking. And a common theme amongst um, a few of them um, which is, has resonated with me as I've looked back at my leadership experience in the SEAL teams, but elsewhere in, in the corporate world, is that amongst a, a lot of us, there is this intense need to be right. And I, I wonder sometimes if that is natural among men and the masculine, or is it inculcated by Western society or maybe mm -hmm. all society at this point, because we all around the world pretty much have the same format of education, um, which is, you know, uh, sit in a classroom, um, contain yourself uh, and listen, and then, you know, practice the things and then see if you can pass. And it's sort of right, this, regurgitate. Um, in my, yeah, in, yeah. In, in my opinion, it's a, it's, a, it's a very unnatural way to live as a as a youthful person. And I, th I think, especially as a, as a man, I think it's, I think our, the education system is terrible for, for boys, especially. And I'm sure, I'm sure girls suffer under it for other reasons that are, you know, somewhat that I'm somewhat oblivious to just based on my personal experience. But, um, you know, I think through that system, it creates this game, right. And everyone, but especially guys, and especially those with sort of alpha DNA, if we want to call it that, like, what do they want to do when it comes to a game? They want to win. Right. And if the yeah. game is always be right, like then quitting that game is next to impossible when you've done it for, um, let's call it, you know, 18 years until you graduate college and then you've got grad school. And then if you enter sort of a, you know, some of the traditional paths for careers, right. Let's, let's call it, um, you know, whether it's medicine, whether it's, uh, banking, whether it's consulting, um, even, you know, we, we could name off a whole bunch of others where there's this track and it's still, it's still that game where it's learn skills, do things, get rewards. And the kind of Simon Sinek infinite game is not present in a lot of those, those places. Um, and you're still rewarded for being right all the time and quitting that game is next to impossible. And you assume that's, that's the game that you have to play. Like you don't even think about it anymore. You just, there's this impulse that 
I'm, I, I must be right at all times. And as a, as a leader or as someone just leader or otherwise, I mean, I think in, in some ways we're all, we're all leaders in some way in society we're leading ourselves. Um, you know, that's, that's not a great way to be effective with other people. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, to, to be right all the time. So I think, um, you know, trying to quit that game is, is one first step in releasing, um, you know, and I don't know what you think about this phrase, but let, let's, let's, I'll just throw it out there. Uh, I don't know what I think about it either, but you know, it's maybe one way to release some of that toxic masculinity. You know, I mean, I understand that phrase. It's, I think it, it could have meaning and it does have definition, but you know, I think like so many words like empathy has like 40 different meanings feminism right you you ask somebody hey am i are you a feminist uh, according to the dictionary that's you know where everybody has the same equal opportunities under the law and culture and who you you're you're a pretty big asshole if you're like i don't agree with that but that's not necessarily what it means to people and you know it, we've had this this almost plague of changing words and, and and redefining words to the point where communication becomes very difficult because you're going to use a word that traditionally means one thing but now i have in my local culture or my local generation or you know my colloquialism have changed that word to mean something completely different and now we can't we can't talk even though we're speaking technically the same language and you know and that's happened on, on a variety of different experiences but really with some of the more complex things that we're trying to address here for example empathy masculinity femininity what do those words actually mean what are they how are they productive in their meanings right and i think sometimes people tend to tend to have applied meaning that that just isn't very productive right if if when you say hey what's masculine mean it means chopping wood and doing this and doing that like that's not really helpful at all um to anyone especially if you don't chop wood or you can't chop wood as a man right does that mean it's impossible for me to be a man if i don't hunt or chop wood and you know i, I don't do all those stereotypical things because I don't have to, I have Amazon, <laughs> you know, I have grocery stores and, you know, that's where I prefer to get my stuff. Um, so, you know, does that make me not a man? And I think people rebel against that. And rather than understand words better, you know, we just make up new ones and then none of us can communicate anymore. Um, you know, and every generation has done it. You know, Gen Z has a, has, gets a lot of, attention at the moment for their um, variety of different colloquial speaking that um, but you know it's uh, you know I'm dead uh, <laughs> and and so you know and, and we everybody's done that right you know you and I our generation had that you know every generation goes through some sort of experience where they're like they have these things that they say but you know, so that's that's not unheard of, but I think paying attention to it, especially in this moment where our civilization is really starting to shift. You know, you're in AI and and machine learning. That I mean, 
I come from entertainment. That's what I did for about 15 or 16 years, right? As an artist, and as an actor, that sort of thing. Um, that world is completely upside down. The, the, the actors are on strike. The writers have been on strike for two months. They're, they're fighting this element from the studios that says, we're going to use AI. And what that really means is we don't need you anymore. And that's th this definition of entertainment. What that used to mean was artists be making money, right? And it doesn't mean that anymore. It's entertainment now is how many views can I get? And if I can get 7 million views on something conveying a message for th those viewers to buy shit from me and I don't have to pay anybody to do that, that's just good business. And that I think is gonna come not only in short form content like TikToks and Instagram, but it, there's going to be longer form content that's created that literally uses no people. I mean, mark, mark it here, I think within three years, created by humans will be a marketing tagline for some films. And it'll be a thing where it's like, hey, this this film was written by a person. And handcrafted. that's handcrafted, <laughs> right? Exactly. Artisanal. <laughs> 10 years ago, like that's, of course it was made by people. Who else is gonna make this shit? But that's not what we're gonna see. Um, and I, you know, I think I think the guilds particularly and I'm in a guild that is currently on strike. Uh, I think the guilds are going to have a real hard time with the studios. And that's not, I'm not advocating for that. I'm not happy about that. But I think the studios are holding like most of the cards. Um, and I think that's evident in some of the things that they've said. So I think, ironically, the artists and entertainment as an industry is really one of the first, you know, multi-billion maybe trillion dollar industries that is publicly going through this conversion to automation and to AI integration. You know, I think we all kind of see it coming with Uber and Lyft. You know, they, they don't really make a lot of bones about the fact they're like, our drivers are temporary. We are absolutely, our entire right. business model is built around at some point having driverless cars so we don't have to pay for people anymore and then our, our, your prices won't change but like we're not going to pay anybody anymore so I, you know they're, they're losing money hemorrhaging money they're public but they're still not make but it, it's all about this investment opportunity to get to that that point and i think it's it's took me by surprise as well that you know although maybe it's apropos that the artists were the first ones to get fucked um, and I think we're fucked. Like, I think we're fucked. I think there will be artists for sure, but it's really going to be people that want to say something. And then that comes down to what do we have to say and how do we say it, right? If you want to communicate to human beings, knowing your audience, you know, we're going to have to learn to articulate our language from a masculine to a feminine point of view in order to capture the audience that we have to say in order to find success as an artist, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, niching used to be a re is really popular, right? Hey, find your small niche 
and you grab that niche and you crush it. But, you know, there's, there's complications around that now. Um, you know, especially since entertainment used to be about this, this megaphone, it used to control culture, and now it's responding to it. So it, it terrifies me that TikTok might be the cultural leader right now. And, but I think it, I think it might be at this point, um, much more than what movie star is starring in what movie, right? That just doesn't really matter. Um, we still might go see them, but it's not culture creating. Uh, those movies aren't really being promoted or made, right? The, you're just seeing tent poles, right? Which have value. We've always had tent poles. I like, I thought Top Gun Maverick, which I'll, I'll admit, I thought was going to be real terrible, <laughs> but it was really good, right? It was really great. Uh, I thought it was really well done and it was fun to watch and it made tons of money. Um, but, you know, like that, that kind of film is, I don't know if it's too much culture creating anymore. The way that it did, I think, I know for me, potentially for you, I mean, I saw that movie and I, I I would argue it's not the only reason I went to the Naval Academy, but I think it had a big, big part of it, <laughs> right? Like I was like, that looks fucking cool, yeah. and I want to do that. Um, yeah. And you want to play beach volleyball to to music? It, uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, and it, like I just want. I think we wanted to be like that guy, right? Um, we, we, we valued those characters, those archetypes as the standard. And, and, and now I think that's changing, right? I think we're no longer limiting ourselves to, hey, if you're not, if you don't present this way, if you don't dress this way, if you don't talk this way, if, if you don't have muscles, you know, you can't be a man. And all that's all that's in a in a huge flux and we're introducing the masculinity of the others that we used to dismiss uh in our culture anyway into into the world and like how do we how do we bring them in i think we have to start with language uh although i liked how you said it's it's about behavior and so i, I want to ask you a question i'm, I'm I'm going to guess you're at least aware of, if not read, The 48 Laws of Power. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I think the first version of that was like Sun Tzu's Art of War, which I know you've read. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, The 48 Laws of Power, pe- I think people read that as a language model for how to get what you want and how to be a leader. And I think they miss the fact that many of those are very personally destructive. Uh, even if they acknowledge it, they still execute it. And I, I would argue that the 48 Laws of Power, that when I read it, I was like, yes, but. There was always a yes, but, not a yes, and, right? It was like, yes, this will work for this situation, but you've now burned that bridge with that person forever. And if your goal is longevity, if your goal is production over time and growth, 
most of those laws shortchange that and they cut that off. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 I think that book is presented as a, you know, a Bible of how to be a leader and which laws to use when. And, and to me, it's almost a, you know, it just, this is pretty much what not to do because it will work in a very, very narrow mindset. But that's, I don't think what our goals sh should be. Yeah. So 48 levels of power, I'm super familiar with. I think that people often hate on Robert Greene um, for good reasons on its face, but um, similar to Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince uh, and a host of other resources that give you insight into humanity. Robert Cialdini's Influence is another good book about that, um, where it's a highly explicit and detailed tool set to achieve a very specific end. And that end may not always be productive or bring you joy or happiness in life. I've heard Robert Greene on some podcasts. I don't know him. I'm not that familiar with him as a person. But I would guess that his goal is not to have every male in society primarily and, and some women pursuing power as their ultimate life goal because that's mm -hmm. not going to bring them happiness. That's not going to bring the people around them happiness. Uh, um, and so uh, those resources, in my opinion, are tools for people to use to mix and match with other tools and to map onto their values and use them in a way that helps them achieve those values and also shields them from risk of other people who really are pursuing those highly selfish, highly, you know, kind of overly uh, masculine, alpha masculine goals of, you know, essentially right. <laughs> being the alpha for the entire world. Right. Um, and so uh, there's this book by Felix Dennis, how to get rich, which is highly entertaining. Um, the publisher of Maxim um, he's close to a billionaire or over a billionaire. Um, he, he spends the entire book reminding the reader why they should not hmm. try and get rich. Um, and so uh we can we can use these uh, tools to succeed in life um, in in good ways um, if we choose to, right? It's what is it? Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of a, of the the Batman quote or something like that. Live um, long enough I'll, to I'll, I'll uh, find it uh, in my head. Either here. die but, a hero or live long enough to be the villain. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that that one. There's another one I'm thinking of, but. Uh, you know, the other one is, uh, is it Star Wars? The use, you know, use your powers for good or something like that. But anyway, the, um, the other point I want to raise with 40 Laws of Power is that historically, there was only one system. Yeah. And, and, and that was, you know, in the tribe, where you were in that tribe, right? And essentially, even going back before such an organized society and language and everything, it's, Hey, just physically, you know, you, you get a pecking order and you eat first or last, depending on that pecking order, right? Um, and so then we kind of formalize that with language and systems and titles and positions and agreements and social contracts that are, you know, not necessarily written down, but they're understood amongst those people um, aside from survival. 
Um, but then, you know, okay, we introduced the priesthood, said, okay, there's now there's two systems, right? And, and you know, with your other guests, you can talk about the, the yeah. system for women, but I'm talking about primarily the system for men, right? And then we add on, you know, some other, other forms of society that are like pillars of society, um, let's call them, and there's these other systems. Um, but now there's, it, it's, it's infinite, right? There's infinite things you can succeed at, right? You can be the best anything. And you met, you alluded to niches earlier, right? Whether it's best actor, whether it's best, you know, AI engineer, whether it's best painter, um, best writer in a, you know, Comedy, whatever yeah. romantic fiction for tweens, you know, in Africa genre or something like that. And so, you know, I think there, there is some of that DNA that wants to achieve, right? In all of us, I think masculine or feminine. Um, and, but now there are ways to do that that are conducive with the rest of society and far less violent. So to wrap up, I, I'd love to get your point of view, given you know, your experience in hyper-masculine environments, the requirement for communication, um, and what I'm assuming to be uh, a bit of a brotherhood amongst SEAL team members that, that exist as a family would, right? Um, with emotional connection and intellectual connection and the way that that could translate and, and how that could be helpful to men that are basically told like to communicate with other men about your problems, about your struggles is by definition not masculine by definition not powerful and it's it it leaves a lot of men alone and isolated really at their own action because of their fear of being viewed as not strong they suffer in silence and i think that's a really important aspect of you know the way our culture is changing and the way that language around what is masculine really needs to change. We really need to encourage men to socialize, to communicate. That that doesn't involve, you know, picking up chicks and getting drunk and like getting in a fight. To sit around and say like, this is what I'm feeling. And that's normal, right? Even to say that now, I think people will hear that as like, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, I'm not a wuss. You know? Just talk about your feelings because you have them. So, I, you know, the, the, your experience really gives a, a a lot of clout to this. And so I'd love to, to wrap up with that, that point of view from you on, on how you think men could socialize better for themselves. First, I think that you're right. Men are somewhat terrible at creating a real community of people around them where they're able to evolve as a full person, not just as a masculine mm -hmm. man. That's exacerbated by mobility, physical mobility, geographic mobility, where, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you develop these friendships with people when you're, you know, maybe because you are not a fully masculine developed member of our species at that point, 
and maybe you're, you're more vulnerable and you create these relationships. And so if you stay in your five mile radius of where you grew up, you have those relationships, right? And you obviously have them with your family, but you have, you have this wider network of people you went to school with and played sports with and did everything with, and, and they, mm. they know all the dirt on you, right? They know when you screwed up. And so in that way, it's hard to have an ego there and it's hard to, there's no point in creating this veneer of, you know, I'm just crushing it all the time and I'm perfect and, you know, I'm more, more powerful than you in this way or whatever. Um, uh, and so, you know, guys need to find that community. You, you need to create that community. It's something that mm -hmm. I am still working on um, myself uh, and really to like be intentional about taking the time to do that um, and finding creative ways to do that again, not, not the obvious ways of like, you know, let's just grabbing beers, you know, with, with, with people and, and people who may not, there might be fun to grab beers with. Right. But like, they're not going to give you what you need, um, to be that full person. Uh, and I, I think that women, um, I don't want to say by no means am I saying they have an easier time, but just, I think women naturally have those relationships value those relationships are intentional about those relationships out of, you know, I think it was just built into evolutionary their reasons. Um, and, right. It was, it was built in their culture and their, I think the DNA, you know, uh, eventually was, was built to fit in an environment where social optimization mm -hmm. helped the species, right. And helped each family survive when you helped each other out. Right. And you could trust that someone was gonna, you know, do for you in your time of need um, just like you would do for them. And so, um, but men, you know, it's, I'm not the first person to say this. It's, it's tough making friends as a guy who is grown up. Right. And, you know, especially once you've, you, you get older and older and you got kids and other things like, so you need to do that. And I think guys off, like guys probably for that reason need therapy more than women do. Um, in that women are getting some of these, uh, informal and unprofessional, but still valuable forms of therapy in their life to help evolve, you know, in, in, again, that full state of emotion, empathy, sensitivity, um, and being intentional and, um, you know, being able to vocalize how you're feeling and what's going on in your head to more than just yourself, right? Like that's a game changer in and of itself. So, um, you know, in the, in the SEAL teams, there is, you know, I, I don't want to claim that we're talking about feelings all the time, but there's um, a SEAL who was very successful in the private sector. And I had talked to um, a, a non-veteran former boss of his, uh, who, was a, who was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, maybe Fortune 100. And that, that civilian person said that he asked the SEAL why seals were so successful in the private sector and that seal replied that it's because we've had the ego beaten out of us that we have none left which is not true right which is definitely not true like i mean i still carry plenty of ego but you know it's there's a amongst this group that is you know self-selected and selected by you know the most elite part of our society at least elite in a in an alpha male sense like selected both internally and externally for that masculinity, right? And mm -hmm. essentially for ego, right? There, there's an ego-driven element to why people select for that and how they get selected. Um, that is, that can be healthy 
in when you you need to achieve that level of excellence, especially in a violent, um, right. uh, literal battlefield, right? And so, with that in mind, like a lot of us, you know, maybe we have we don't have zero ego, right? But through all that training and through being around all these other alpha males, highly performant, um, you know, you you learn, hey, like I'm, maybe I'm not all that, right? Um, but then balancing the ego <laughs> with imposter syndrome is a whole separate thing, right? So. Um, I think, but, but the, the, the point is though, not only are the ego driven out of us, cause it's, that's what you need in a team, right? It's seal teams. Every seal will say teams, right? The teams. Um, cause it's so integral. Um, it's not about me. It's about the team. And so like in order for the team to thrive, I need to be able to communicate the things that I'm not good at, the things I screwed up on. Right. And. I communicate that thing I screwed up on, whether it was an, as an officer or as just an operator, right? Uh, doing a task on the battlefield that's more tactical. Like I'm doing that number one, because it's honest. Number two, that people realize that that may be a handicap for me. Number three, so I can grow, right? Um, and number four, so other people can benefit. And uh, if I'm not comfortable doing that, like that's really bad for the team. And so, um, you know, maybe there's some parallels that we can bring, you know, whether it's in a private sector work setting um, or just in our relationships uh, that we have with with other men or at least other people who can help us, you know, in that community and, and to be our, our better selves. Yeah, you know, I think those four bullet together. points are, are fantastic ways to, to begin the conversation with your like yourself, uh, whomever that is on how to how to begin to quote unquote be a man because you know the way you described it those questions were hyper relevant for survival right if if someone didn't do their job somebody died right and and so it becomes very acute right the cost benefit analysis is like well you fell asleep and three people died so whereas you know i think the consequences aren't quite so immediate and dire in the rest of the world so we, we get a lot of maybe laziness about asking ourselves those questions and like, well, I'll, I'll ask that question later because nobody's going to die. Um, and that's uh, you know, to our own detriment. And I think having other men around you that also can excel, right? You might think you're the toughest guy in the room until the other guy benches a car and you're like, I can't bench a car. Uh, that's crazy that guy's super tough, right? Or, or watching somebody take a, a hit, you know, a, a punch or something. And you're like, <laughs> I, I, when that guy hit me, <laughs> I felt it. Um, so, right. you know, th those are immediate right. and they're, they're physical and they're visceral. And, you know, the real world doesn't really operate that way often. So you know, we, we get careless, I think, in our, in our execution. But I think having other men to to check us is probably probably the, the best form of of movement through this right to say this is what i'm trying to accomplish what do you think what am i missing oh you're you're leaving out the fact that you know your your process is going to alienate 40% of your workforce and you know the 60% will respond really well, 40% are, are not going to know what the fuck you're talking about. So you have to modulate that. And, or what's going on with my wife? Why, why can't I communicate with her or my girlfriend or my boyfriend? 
why can't I, what's going on? And having another man's without just trying to invalidate the other person, which is often what we seek, you know, they did this and they did that. Yeah, that's fucked up and they're terrible people. That's not real helpful either. Um, sometimes it can feel good, but I think having men to talk with and say like, okay, well, here's what you can do. Here's what you can control. I think that's really great. Those four questions are definitely going to be, be part of this because it's, uh, it's important. And, and we want to ask, we want to teach people to ask the questions that they need to ask. And then the answers are their own, right? How you want to represent, how you want to present in the world, how masculine you want to think, how feminine you want to think, where your strengths are, all that is an individual experience. But asking those questions and being open to whatever the answer is, I think is, is this next step. So um, I, I really, I really appreciate your time here. Yeah. This is, I, that was fantastic. Yeah. 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 It was, it was my pleasure. And, and, um, you, you brought up a couple of things there that I just want to make sure people double down on. One is the sense of urgency around these questions, right? Like ask them today. Some people may not be dying, but find a way to ask them today and every day. And then the second thing is find people who are invested in you and the SEAL teams. Like we all knew all the time, everyone was invested in each other. It's easy to find people as you're trying to build community around yourself um, to make you a better human that mm -hmm. are superficial, right? And aren't really invested, but they'll spend the time with you. They'll grab a beer with you. They'll joke around, you know, whatever. Um, but you know it, right? You know when people are invested in you and you're invested in them. So so, so find that and, uh, and, and Fantastic. be a better human. Thank you so much, Andrew. I, I really appreciate you being on here and, uh, you know, communicating such a depth of experience and wisdom so that, you know, we as men can can learn to start to navigate this new world that's coming because it's just not going to be enough to be the toughest guy in the room. And if there's 15 dudes in a room, where does that leave the other 14? Because one of them is, sure. One of them is. But definitively, <laughs> only one of them is. And, you know, where does that leave the rest of us? Um, you know, how, how do we operate without just trying to peacock and pretend and deceive everybody that, or try and shit change rooms, you know, just be, be where you want to be, where be where you fit in. It's okay yep. to be a cog in the wheel on a team and you don't have to be the first person through the door. So thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had fun. Thank you for listening to the sex and humans podcast. My name is John David Whalen, powered by Riverside FM edited with Autopod.